Father, thanks because of the work of your Son and the gift of your Spirit. We can sit in stillness. And for those of us that have accepted Jesus as our Lord, that we can be accepted even in that stillness. That you love us, not because of what we do, but because of who we are in you. Help us understand that this morning, God, as we uh, look at your word, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to be soft, to trust what you want to do in and through us as we do our best to follow you, to become like you, and only to do what you do. Would you guide and lead us in our time this morning? We love you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Did you ever grow up and uh, have a friend in your neighborhood that you hung out with, not because of um, you guys liking the same things, but just sheer proximity, neighborhood friends? Anybody grow up with neighborhood friends that maybe that kind of phased out as you kind of grew up and begin to drive and have more freedom? And, and maybe it's not as applicable in the digital landscape that we're in now where kids can kind of be friends with people not in their neighborhood. Um, I grew up in several different cities as, uh, in, throughout my childhood, several different states. And uh, when I was eight years old, I was living in Colorado. And right across the house, the street right across the house from ours was uh, a house. And there was a boy named Darby that I was friends with. Now, Darby had red hair. He was an interesting kid. Um, he was into karate. And um, one of the things that Darby had was like the complete Star Wars set, like, every, like the Millennium Falcon, all of it. I did not have that, so I was inclined to cross the street to hang out at Darby's house as an eight-year-old and play with him. I think he had all the Transformers, too. Um, uh, the other piece of it was when I go over to Darby's house, not, not only was he an interesting kid in his personality, but um, he was just messy. He was like a messy person. And, uh, and so I, I found this battle raging in my mind constantly, and those of you that know me would understand this. Like I would go to Darby's house, and we'd play... Star Wars in his room, but it was like super messy. And like at one point, I'm just like, Darby, like, is it cool if I just clean up a little bit <laughs> before we play? And he looked at me like, and he's like, yeah, you want to clean my room? Yeah. And so like, okay, just give me 10 minutes. And like, I'm, I'm cleaning his room for him because I, 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 I wanted to fully enjoy what we were doing and I couldn't do it in the mess. Um, and so that was kind of our rhythm. I would go over and clean his room, and we would play with his Star Wars uh, action figures. And at one point in the summer of 19, uh, uh, it was 1986, I, I was eight years old, and I was, I was over there, and I was hanging out. And I remember before I left that evening, my parents said, hey, you need to be home by 5 o'clock today, which is not abnormal to be home around that time. And so I, I go over to Darby's, and we're hanging out, and we're playing Star Wars, and like we kind of got carried away. And all of a sudden, I look up at the clock, and it's 5.15, and I'm late. So I was like, hey, dude, I got to go. I run across back home, and I, I walk into a disappointed older brother and uh, a dad that was going to surprise my brother and myself to go see Top Gun in the movie theater. And I was like, oh. I was just like shattered, right? Because like... If I have the option to go see Top Gun with my dad and my brother or clean up Darby's room, like, it's not a, it's not a hard choice. Um, but in that, I, I kind of missed that invitation because my dad wanted it to be a surprise. We saw the movie the next day. Everything was fine. But I was kind of like, oh, like, I missed it. 
because I didn't understand what was being offered to me in those two opportunities because it was a surprise. What are the invitations that get extended to you in your life? When you think about somebody that invites you to something, whether it's a wedding or a birthday party or just to hang out, how do you weigh what you accept in that invitation? Do you, some of us, most of us are probably thinking like, well, location is probably at play. Like, can I physically get there? We've been invited to things across the country that it's just, we can't get there. Some of it, when you get an invitation, oh, for me, a wedding, or I got invited to a birthday party, man, that I really wanted to go to last week, and I looked at my calendar, and I was like, we already have something we're committed to. We, we can't be two places at once. And so sometimes it's location, sometimes it's your availability, and then sometimes it's just your desire. And like, I don't want to go at all to this thing that's been extended to me. And sometimes you do go out of obligation or maybe guilt or whatever, and then sometimes you're like, no, I just, I just need to be home. Um, when you think about things that you get invited into, what's your metric of how you say yes or no to those things? Um, because that's what we're going to look at in Isaiah 55 as we kind of round out our series this morning and cl close it. Uh, if, if you're new, we've been walking through a series called The Servant King, where we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 40 through 55, these 15 uh, chapters in the Bible that invite us to God's comfort as he's comforting his people. And so we're going to finish in Isaiah 55 today. As you already heard, we will celebrate the resurrection uh, next week in Easter. And then after that, we will spend seven weeks in Romans chapter 8, where we'll really sit in Romans chapter 8 and looking at how Paul describes life in the Spirit. What does that actually mean for us as Christians? Um, so that just gives, gives you a forecast of what we'll be doing on Sundays for the next several Sundays. Um, I read this uh, quote that's been helpful for me, the NIV application commentary says this about Isaiah chapter 54, which we covered last week in chapter 55. Listen to this just for some context this morning. It says, Isaiah 54 and 55 forms two parts of a single whole. Chapter 54 is a love song by God to Zion, his estranged bride, telling her all the things he is going to do in restoring her. Chapter 55 is the invitation proper calling on the bride not to miss through unbelief what is hers. Together, they constitute one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in the entire Bible. And I think that's true. Isaiah 55, even the verses that Caleb read are, are some of my favorite in all of the Bible, and you'll hear why in a minute. Um, but as we think of invitation, and even as I'm using this language even um, as an illustration, like, well, I don't want us to think when we're going to hear these different pockets of invitation in Isaiah 55, I don't want us to think of like being invited to a wedding or a birthday party because as a participant in a wedding, you could go and you could enjoy the bride and groom, and, but you're just going to go and then you're probably going to go home and your life might not be a little different. The invitation that we're talking about today is less of like um, at, being asked to go to a wedding and more of like being proposed to. Like this is an invitation for you to not just go to the wedding, but be in the wedding as the bride. That this invitation that's going to be extended to us in Isaiah 55 is a constant invitation of love and relationship. And even... As we think about this invitation, it's, it's not a one-and-done invitation. This just isn't an invitation just to salvation through the Messiah, through the servant king, through Jesus. This is an invitation consistently. And just like my wife and I stood up before witnesses and we declared our love before God and before uh, our, our friends and family to each other, this commitment, this covenant, I'm still invited 
to love my wife every single day. It doesn't end with just the ceremony. And so for many of us, we need to realize as we step into this relationship with Jesus and we cross from death to life, the Bible says, it's not just about that one-time invitation. It's about a continual invitation that the gospel offers us for life. And so as we think through these invitations this morning through Isaiah 55, I just want that to be our mind, uh, our mindset and our frame this morning. And we're going to look at um, four invitations and what this beautiful invitation is. And this is really important. This is really key, I think, for the text this morning. It's not an invitation motivated by fear, but rather it's an invitation based on freedom. Freedom and love from the servant king. It's really important for us to hear that this morning, and you'll hear why in a minute. So here are the four invitations as we walk through these 13 verses in chapter 55, just to, to lay the groundwork for where we're going to go. We, we have an invitation to true satisfaction, to taste true satisfaction. We'll have an invitation to participate in active humility, We'll have an invitation, and we'll see it in the text, to rely on steadfast truth. And we'll have an invitation to anticipate the new creation. An invitation to true satisfaction, to active humility, to steadfast truth, and to the new creation. So open up your Bible. It's already open. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. This is the first invitation, and it's an invitation to true satisfaction. This is what God's word says. Verse 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This first invitation we see in the text is an invitation to true satisfaction. And the invitation we, offer get, uh, we often get extended to us from the world is uh, not one of true satisfaction, but of temporary satisfaction. It's an invitation for this idea of kind of swiping your credit card and not realizing there's 20% interest. You're going to have to pay later. The world's invitation to us is this temporary satisfaction that is eating fast food consistently. It's cheap, it's convenient, but if you do it all the time and you only do that, it's not going to be good for your body. That's the invitation the world gives us, this temporary satisfaction. But the text is clearly inviting us to something that actually satisfies us. Verse two again says, why do you spend money 
for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy. You go after these temp uh, temporary satisfactions in us, and Proverbs tells us in, in chapter 5 and in chapter 7 and chapter 1, there's these two calls of an invitation, uh, this call to, to wisdom personified, and this idea of calling out in the streets, this wisdom is calling to you to live and to live the right way. But then there's also a call um, from a, a temporary satisfaction standpoint, and even in Proverbs chapter 7, there's an invitation to say, come, let us fill our love until morning. My husband isn't home. And there's this woman calling to the streets for this temporary satisfaction. And so we get these invitations bombarded with us all the time in our life. From advertising to relationships to friendships, you're getting invited to things consistently. How do you know what is the right invitation to accept and the false invitation to accept? The answer is in our text. If you look at the end of verse 2 and verse 3, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I love that language, to listen diligently, to incline your ear. There's kind of this intense focus and expectation tied to that action. Right, like, let's imagine that you are just under debt. Like you are, you're not in a good place financially. You don't know how you're going to get out of this hole. You're, uh, you don't know what you're going to do. And we have a conversation and I go, hey, you know what? I actually found out what the Powerball numbers are going to be next week. And I'm going to tell you what the Powerball numbers are, and we're on the phone, and I'm going to say, hey, man, this is going to clear up your financial problems, although we know people that win the lottery, like their lives are miserable, right, afterwards. We've seen all the data, which is a whole other sermon. Anyway, um, like if I said, hey, I'm going to give you the Powerball numbers. I'm only going to say it once, and we're on the phone. What would you do if you were on the other end, and you go, like, I really need that. That would really be helpful. How would you listen? Would you, uh, like, okay, like how we sometimes listen and we're not really listening, or would you lean in? Would you get a pen? Would you go like, okay, I need to listen diligently to this. I need to incline my ear to what you're about to say because this is going to give me what I need. And then women, God has given us what we need to live our lives, but oftentimes we're sloppy in our listening to him. And we're just not good listeners in general in our culture. And so this is inviting us in the midst of going after true satisfaction. The key to not running after something that is false, but something that is true, is to incline our ear to listen diligently to him. How are your listening habits? If you're honest with yourself, with the Lord, are you listening as you read his word, are you listening in prayer, just quiet silence and going, God, I need to hear from you. I need you to speak to me. And you're listening to the best of your ability. Or are you just like, well, I read the Bible. It's on the screen at church once a week. And then you're hearing all these other messages that you don't think you're listening to, but you are throughout your week. We need to listen to him. You know when you're swimming and you get water in your ear, or I was having a conversation with somebody this morning, and they're getting over some sickness, and like their, their ear is clogged. And they were talking about how like they can't, they can't really do their job, they're on a headset and talking, and like it's really hard for them to do their job because their ear's clogged. 
And some of us, we just, we, we're clogged up because we've run after these things that we think will satisfy us and they don't to verse one. We're going like, why, why are you doing that? Why are you spending your time and your money and your effort on these things you think will give you ultimate satisfaction? And they may give you a momentary satisfaction, but they ultimately won't help you and satisfy you. And so our ears are kind of clogged with our sin, with things we've gone after. And the invitation this morning is to go because of Jesus and what he has done. What repentance is, is making yourself vulnerable and humble, which we'll see in a second. And you come to him and he unclogs your ear and you can listen to what he wants to tell you. And that's an invitation to true satisfaction. There's nothing else that you will ultimately be satisfied in. When you lay your head down at your pillow in the middle of the night, there are things that you can go after that the world provides and says this is where satisfaction is found and it will give you temporary satisfaction, but only Jesus, only Jesus is the real satisfaction for your heart. You won't find it anywhere else. Look for it. You won't find it anywhere else but in Him. And this is the invitation this morning from Isaiah for us to find true satisfaction. So what's our necessary posture as we accept this true satisfaction invitation extended to us? That's the second point as we continue in the text is that this invitation is to active humility. It's an invitation to active humility. Verses six through nine. To seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that, me, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is an invitation to active humility. And we see it in verse six and seven, this activity part, this active, this idea of seeking and forsaking and returning to the Lord. There's an active posture of humility that is displayed in the text for us this morning. It's not just sitting there, not doing anything. It's going like, okay, how do I actively push into humility by seeking and forsaking and returning? And then again, the world's, invitation to us typically is the reverse of this. The world would say, no, like, um, the, the invitation is to a, a way of pride, <laughs> of going like, no, your way is the right way. You need to lean into that. You need to trust that versus what the Bible is telling us here, this idea of humility. It's totally counterintuitive <laughs> to continue to, to move into a space where you just go, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that God knows, right? Imagine your job and um, your boss goes, oh, okay, what, what, what's your responsibility? You go, I, uh, I don't know. You're going to get fired, right? Like there's, there's something in our American way that wants to say, no, we know. We know what to do because like we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be vulnerable. And that's exactly the posture that we need to have to experience true satisfaction. Even in the context of this verse, verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declare the Lord. And usually when I hear this verse used, um, it's typically used in the idea that like, man, God's thoughts are higher than mine. I I don't really know what he's doing. And I I think that's an okay secondary use of, of 
this, this that, that um, the God of the Bible is categorically different than us. That is definitely true. Even in Isaiah 40, if you were with us the first week, there's truth to that. God is displaying who he is. He holds the water in the palm of his hands. We don't. Like, that is definitely true. But if you're thinking about it in the context and this beautiful invitation for us, the context is directly this idea that, like, you don't give grace the way I give grace. My thoughts are higher than yours. And for us, it's true, isn't it? This doesn't make any sense that this God that is good and perfect and right, he would give grace and give grace and give grace again. And we go, that, 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 that seems too good to be true. And then you mess up again and you sin again. And just like Stephen said, he's calling you to turn to him, to come to him. He's waiting with compassion in his eyes saying, come to me. And you go, I, I, I don't think I can come to you anymore. I've blown it again. And God goes, my ways are not your ways. Keep coming to me. Keep trusting me. Keep knowing that grace is still extended from me to you because you're my child, because I love you. And we go, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense to us. And God is telling us, like, that's because my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And God is saying, I will abundantly pardon you. Abundantly. So if we're trying to taste true satisfaction, and we need to have a posture of active humility, right? The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is not neutral to pride. He opposes pride. He is against pride which is our default heart because of our sinful posture. And we need to go, God, I need you to help me be humble. That's a dangerous prayer. God, would you help me be humble? Because then he'll let it happen. <laughs> and it's painful, but it's good. And it's the way to really taste true satisfaction. So as we look at this idea of wanting true satisfaction, all of us want our souls to be satisfied. We need to embrace this posture of active humility in our life. And, and sometimes, again, it feels so counterintuitive to us to be humble, to be vulnerable. We go, God, I don't know if I should keep stepping into this path of humility. And this is what the next invitation is for in the midst of that dissidence in us is to taste true satisfaction, to be invited into this active posture of humility is because we're invited to rely on steadfast truth. We don't understand. God's ways are way higher than ours, and God goes like, but my ways are true. Verse 10 and 11, it says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. This idea or invitation to rely on steadfast truth because the world's offering for us, the world's invitation for us is counterfeit truth. It's not the truth of God. It's this version that kind of looks true on the outside and again, maybe helps us a little bit, but ultimately it is not uh, a truth that we can stand on like God's truth. 
Um, you guys probably have heard or know that uh, Taylor Swift started her world tour. Where did she start her world tour? Right here in Glendale, Arizona. That's right, Phoenix. We're coming up in the world, everybody. Taylor Swift hasn't done a tour since 2018. What did I say? Did I say it wrong? Swift City, Arizona? Oh, that's right. Thank you for the correction. It wasn't Glendale. Swift City, Arizona, for all you Swifties out there. Some of you are going, I don't know what's happening right now. I don't listen to Taylor Swift. Just stay with me in the illustration. Stay with me. Stay with me. Okay. Taylor Swift. She's a star. She has a concert. She starts it here in Glendale, Arizona, up the road. And, um, and people are so geeked out about Taylor Swift coming, right? Because they love Taylor Swift, and they've been listening to her for a super long time. And she hasn't had a tour in many years. And when is she going to be on tour again? I don't know. And so uh, tickets went on sale mid-November of last year, and they sold out like that, like that, so fast. And some of you even in the room went to the concert and said it was unbelievable. And I believe that that's probably true. But because tickets sold out so quickly, the only place to get tickets is through Ticketmaster, okay? This is the, the way that you get tickets. But all these, have you noticed, like all these uh, new places to get tickets for sporting events or concerts are kind of popping up over the last several years, SeatGeek and these other places. And so uh, there was a website that you could go to, not called Ticketmaster, but TicketFaster. And it looked like a real website. It looked like super legit. And because people wanted tickets so bad to see Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster was sold out, they go, well, this, this, Ticket faster says there's seats. Like, and I'm, I, I, I want to go so bad. I want to believe that what happened to be a lie was true. And so they end up buying these tickets on Ticket Faster, and it's a total scam. I read that one gal spent over $1,000 on tickets, didn't get the money back because she went to Ticket Faster, not Ticket Master. It's a counterfeit website. It's not real. And not only are you really angry because you just got your money stolen from you, but you also don't get to go to the concert. <laughs> you thought like, okay, I get to go. I'm so excited. I didn't think I was going to get to go. Now I get to go. And not only do you not get to go, but you're out the money because it's counterfeit. And for some of us, we're living this way. We want so bad the lie to be true because it's convenient for us. It's convenient to be intimate with a person you're dating outside of the context and the confines of marriage, which is what God's word said. This is the best version of this for you. It's in a covenant relationship, in a marriage committed relationship. And you go, ah, well, this is really convenient. I want the lie to be true. Or living with your engaged, the person you're going to get married to, you're engaged. It makes more sense for us to live together because we're going to save money and this is going to be easier. And you want so bad for that to be true, that you kind of commit to it. And it's not true. And God is going, look, there's a better way. It's less convenient from the world standards, but it's not counterfeit. It's actually better for you. We get to rely on that truth. And even in the context of the passage, again, of going like, what does it mean to accept this invitation? That doesn't make any sense to us. The world would go, how are you going to eat something? How are you going to buy something when you don't have any money? That doesn't make any sense. And God says, it makes sense in my economy. Come, come and buy, come and eat. You don't have money, come and eat anyway. And where we see this show up, even in this idea of what it means to re uh, receive this type of invitation or rely on steadfast truth, um, oftentimes we see it in the world, as I just mentioned, but man, we see it in the church a lot, this counterfeit truth 
this idea that, uh, man, you've been saved by grace. You have a spot secured in heaven, and that's true. But then the counterfeit part starts to slowly erode in the, in the teaching uh, uh, sometimes where it's like, but, but even though that's true, you're, 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 you're cared for and you're sanctified and you're going to be in heaven. Now in this life, you better work it out on your own. You better do the things you need to do to earn righteousness before God so that when you stand before God, he sees you because of your works. And it's this works-based righteousness that's a counterfeit gospel. And often the way it gets presented, sadly, is from the pulpit is it's this kind of prideful, manipulative, self-relying challenge disguised as obedience. But man, it's based in fear it's based in shame, and it's counterfeit. It's a works-based gospel. Other than you stand before Jesus because, or God the Father, because of who you are in Christ, and he looks at you and he says, I love you, and you are free. Now, you need to do disciplines, but you do them based out of your freedom, not based out of your fear and your shame. That's the invitation to this steadfast truth that because of what God is saying, he's doubling down on verse 7 and verses 10 and 11, that he will abundantly pardon people that return to him. He'll abundantly pardon. He doesn't, just like Stephen said, he doesn't halfway pardon you. You go, okay, well, like I just, I know I need him for my sin and my salvation, and that's, that's good. But then I start to try and work it out on my own and work it out on my own, and then I come back and I kind of hang my head and I'm like, well, I guess I'll repent if I get caught he abundantly pardons. He runs like the father in the prodigal son. He runs to us with compassion, wraps his arms around us and says, you're still loved, you're still free, even in the midst of your sin. You're going, I don't know, I'm probably gonna mess up again. He goes, it's okay, bring it to me again. I love you again. And he goes, it doesn't make sense. And he goes, that's because my ways are higher than yours. Keep coming to me. Keep receiving and accepting this invitation of grace. Man, I need to hear that. We need to hear that all the time rather than this kind of shame-based kind of fear attitude of like, well, I better do it. That's not the gospel. There's a more beautiful picture of an invitation to us. And what the prophet is doing in verses 10 and 11 is he's using an illustration of rain to the earth, how, how in verse 10 that as rain comes down, it gives seed for the sower and for the bread, and this idea that when God speaks and we receive it, he changes us, and we can rely on his truth, that it's right, that it's good, and his specific truth that he abundantly pardons. He abundantly pardons. It doesn't make sense to anybody else, but with God's spirit, he helps us be reminded that grace is actually true. So as we think through these invitations, there's, there's one more in the text for us to see this morning, this invitations of God's love to us, his freedom for us to receive this invitation is through an act of humility going, God, I don't know, and you do. God, help fight my pride, kill my pride. I need to be actively humble before you. And as we're actively humble, we get to listen diligently to him. And as we listen diligently to him, he gives us this invitation to say, trust what I say is true. It doesn't make sense to the world. It seems too good to be true, but trust it. It's right. It's good. And we get to rely on that truth versus the counterfeit truths of the world that often get thrown at us all the time. And the reason that we can stand on God's word and his truth 
And the reason that we can rely on it is not only that we're looking back for him forgiving our sins, is not only that we're looking in the present for him forgiving our sins and parting in us, but we get to look to the future. We get to have an active um, idea and vision of the new creation. And that's this last invitation in the last two verses, this invitation to a new creation, to anticipate a new creation from what the gospel message tells us. Verses 12 and 13 say, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, which is an unbelievable, beautiful tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the, the myrtle, which is this beautiful kind of purple plant. It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This last invitation for us in freedom is this invitation to anticipate a new creation. The invitation the world offers to us is not for the new creation, but for the current creation, that everything that we have in front of us is all we have, and so we need to get all the pleasure we can. But the, the message of the gospel and the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is going to come back, and when he comes back, he's gonna put a final end to all of sin. Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain that we're dealing with because of the brokenness of sin will be eradicated, that there will be a day where everything will be made right again. And we need to be reminded of that. It needs to be a fresh invitation for us every single day because we get distracted from the invitation of the world to just take advantage of what we have here. That's what Jesus says in Luke 14. He gives this parable of this banquet. The food is ready. Go and, and bring the people in. And, and when the person goes to invite the people, they go, well, I, I've got this cattle I just got I need to take care of. I've got this wife I need to go home to. And the point of the parable is like they're getting distracted from the things here versus being reminded of the kingdom that it's bigger and they're missing out on what God has for them. Let's not miss out that one day God's going to make it all right. And because of that, you live differently today. You don't get so distracted and caught up in the world's version of success and satisfaction that you stop obeying Jesus. You go, no, 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 I want to be kingdom. I want to have a kingdom mindset. And if you subscribe to kind of this worldly invitation to get what you can now, man, you'll never really be satisfied. You'll spend money for that which is not bread, uh, this idea of true substance. You will labor. You'll work really hard for that which doesn't satisfy. Instead, when you realize that the offer to surrender your life to the servant king, the true king in Jesus, and you exchange your life for his one day, you get this guarantee that you will live life with joy. You will go out in peace. Your heart will be restored, not only now, now, but when he comes back, he's going to make all things right, and he's going to make all things new. All the pain you're dealing with, all the dissonance and the tension that you're dealing it's all going to be put away one day when he comes back. And that's the invitation. And one of the last invitations in the entire Bible is found in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible in one of the last verses in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. 
And there's a price to follow Jesus. There's a price to our salvation. We just don't pay it. It's been paid on the cross. It's what we'll celebrate on Friday and ultimately celebrate on Easter Sunday. It's been a great price, but it's not to us. It's because of Jesus and his work on the cross that we can find freedom. So as we close, like, why, why, don't, we, why, why don't we accept this invitation? We were in Preaching Collective, which we do as Redemption Pastors, um, about 10 days ago, and we were talking through this text, and, and one of the pastors was talking about how uh, he played baseball in college, and when they would go on the road, they would, go, they would either get per diem money for their road trip, or they would go to a restaurant, and they go, okay, you can buy anything you want, but it's capped at $12. You cannot spend more money than $12 on your meal right now. And so he was talking about how they would strategically go, okay, how can we get the most food for $12, where college athletes were hungry, like how, how can we manipulate it to get, to get to our cap? And then he told a story about uh, this last year where there were some businessmen in Phoenix that have, they're just rich, and they wanted to bless some of the redemption pastors, and so uh, some of the pastors they invited to Washington, D.C. I, I didn't get an invitation. I wasn't one of them, which is okay. I'm not better about it at all. Uh, but they got, they got to go and see the new museum, uh, uh, the Bible Museum, and man, all expenses paid. They flew them out. They flew their spouses out, and he said, we went to a dinner, and we were at this table at this super fancy dinner in Washington, and there were 12 of us at a table. The server comes over and says, this table has a minimum of $2,400. That's $200 a person. And they're looking at their menu. They're going like, I, like, well, I don't even know what to, like, I, I, we can't spend $200 here. This doesn't make any sense. And they just keep going like, oh, well, I'll have the filet mignon, hey, two of them, and I'll have, like, a, I don't know, a glass of wine. Like, I, like how are you going to do that? And he talked about the contrasting difference between being in college and then being at that table. And this is the offer of grace for us. And why this is hard for us is because we don't bring anything to the table. If you really believe in the grace of what's offered here, that the God of the Bible offers abundant pardon as we come to him and we turn to him, and there's nothing we do. It feels overwhelming. Doesn't it? It feels kind of like, I don't, I don't feel good about that because you don't bring anything to the table. And we want to bring something to the table in our own pride. We want to feel like, okay, no, no, no. But I, I did this or I did that. And God is saying, no, just come. Let me overwhelm you with my grace. We just need to be reminded of that. We need to hear that invitation this morning. That's why we come to the table every single week to be reminded and overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus and what he's done for us. As we take this piece of bread, which is his body given to us, and we dip it in the juice, and we go, I can't believe I messed up again, I sinned again, and God keeps going, just keep coming back. Doesn't make sense to us, but in God's kingdom and the sacrifice of Jesus, it makes sense to him. What are you going to do with this invitation this morning? Let's be people that accept it. Let's be people that lean into it. Let's be people that turn away from our ways and live into the grace of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you help us this morning, God, when we want to run after counterfeit truths, God, when we want to be pr proud and not humble, God, when we are sloppy and are listening to you, when we feel like we want to have this workspace salvation to make us feel better, 
would we get on our knees, get on our face, and when we trust you again today. And I pray that's true as we respond this morning, as we sing, as we sing of the truth that you are going to come back, you are going to make everything right, that our hearts will be restored. And Father, I need my heart restored this morning. Would you make that true of us as we make our way and our response to you? We ask that you do it and we pray it in your name. Amen.